0: To hear that he hasn't died, and I'll make sure make sure he knows that. No, uh, it is great to be here with you this morning. I um, have uh, I've had a couple people say to me, "It's really nice to put a face with a ministry," and I it's the same for me. It's nice to see uh, put faces finally with uh, with with a supporting church, and uh, you guys have been so kind to me and to my family and. Uh, to our ministry, and we're so grateful. Um, After Sean left, you continued to support, even without having met me. Now, Pastor Cliff had, obviously, but uh, I'm so grateful for that. And finally... Uh, you know, we had the year, the year of uh, COVID and all this stuff and not very many guest speakers and services, and so it's wonderful for us to be here today, and um, it's really nice to meet you all. Uh, before I start, I did, I did uh, share some of the uh, uh, introductions and all in Sunday school, but for those that weren't there, um, in the fourth row here on the right is my, on my right, your left, uh, my wife Kim, and I have three kids, Kendall, Hadley, and Cannon, and they're, they're all sitting over there, and uh, I'm glad they're here with me today. And uh, then uh, my coworker at the ministry, uh, Carla Matrish, who uh, w- came on board last year to head up a women's ministry uh, at the Capitol. And um, I'm not going to go too much into an update on the, we did that in Sunday school as far as what, what's been happening, what we're doing there. If you're interested in more information, we do have a table out back um, in the foyer there with uh, prayer calendars, with some Bible studies that we've written and distributed in the Capitol. Uh, Both Carla and I have business cards there. If you ever want to contact one of us to know what's happening or something's going on, our email addresses are on our business cards. You can grab one of those and and, uh, make contact with us. We'd be happy to uh, have a conversation with you. Or you can call us. Our phone numbers are on there as well. Um, So we want to have the interaction with you. Uh, Today, though, I'm excited to be able to uh, open the Word with you. Um, I do think that what I'm going to talk about today might get in your kitchen a little bit in some ways. Some of you might uh, find this to be convicting. I know it was for me as I worked through this uh, as well. And uh, since uh, I began kind of processing through the topic that I'm going to go through, uh, we're going to be going through the sub- uh, subjects of fear and anger, what the scriptures have to say about that. Uh, and you'll see why in a minute. Um, obviously, the subject of politics, as you know, I, I uh, am a minister, a chaplain in the capitol, um, and fear and anger are two things that are prevalent um, when you pay attention to those to those things. And so uh, about a year ago, I was called by a pastor friend of mine, and he asked me if I'd be willing to help him with some issues he was having in his congregation. Um, and what he told me, I believe, is a pretty common issue that many churches are dealing with right now. Uh, he said, everyone is wound really tight. And he said, I have people that won't leave their house. And believe that if we have church, we're killing people. And I have others in my church who believe we must have church or else we're bowing to tyranny. And those are two separate issues and there's no movement on that from anybody. He said, then don't even get me started on the election. That was, this was before the election last year and we've still got issues, right? Uh, he then shared uh, that his biggest concern with all of this is that the church is missing an opportunity for ministry because we're being overcome by divisions. Over these issues. As we talked, I learned that he had an older congregation. Many in the church were 65 plus. And just in our conversation, I was curious. I asked him, how many are on social media? And he said, oh, everyone. So I thought about how to help and uh, where could I go with this? He, he wanted me to come preach. So what is really going on here? What is what is the issue that's causing such division and such angst? And, and uh, why is everyone wound so tightly right now? Uh, what's going on in the inner man with each of us as we deal with the realities of the culture and politics, the pandemic, all of the things that we're dealing with or seeing here. So um, I've been growing in my understanding of how the political and social media and media machines actually work. Uh, and I'll give you just a real quick uh, backdrop, backdrop here. Um, uh, Sean was mentioned, Sean Lewis, he actually began this ministry back in 2008 uh, at, at our capital, And um, I, he was in our church. He's a friend of mine. We would have pretty frequent uh, lunches, once once a quarter, something like that, uh, or at least twice a year, um, where we would get together and we talk about what was going on. And the reason there was that interest, besides our friendship, is that I worked for the small business lobby. And the small business lobby, I worked there for eight years. I was a fundraiser, and my job was to go around and talk to business owners and farmers and uh, tell them what the government was doing, what we were doing to stop it, and to see if they would join our cause um, to fight taxes and uh, such on small business. Um, and so one of the things I learned in those eight years, I was also a trainer. So I would train other people how to, do, uh, how to be effective in, in uh, getting support for, for our cause. Um, so I did this from 2010 until uh, 2009 until about 2017 when I came on board with Civil Servant Ministries, um, and totally changed it. Totally changed how I did how I see this now. But one of the things that um, they used to tell us at the Small Business Lobby was is that no one will support the effort unless you engage with their emotions, and that was true. I learned that if I would go into a business and I would say, hey, here's some pieces of legislation that are happening. Here's how we're working to stop it. Will you join our fight? The answer is probably check back with me later or maybe or no. But if I walked into your business and I said, here's the issue. Here's how it's going to affect you. Are you prepared to pay for that? Are you prepared for this? And you make it personal and you make it emotional. People would do it. They would engage with it. Um, There's nothing... Inherently wrong with that. It's not really some of what was. As long as what was being said was true. However, we only respond. We respond through our emotions. We respond to things emotionally. How often do you buy something in the store because it's in the aisle there and you respond emotionally? That looks good. I'm going to buy that. You know, and uh, it's something that grabs you. Well, in July of 2017, uh, a gentleman named Tobias Rose Stockwell wrote an article. This guy is not a believer at all. and, uh, but he wrote this article, and it was an academic study that was done, and the article was very long. And uh, I read it, and I kept it, and uh, it kind of fit with what I had experienced working for the small business lobby and where I was now uh, as, a, as, as opposed to being someone who was trying to fight them, but rather someone who is now trying to minister to them, uh, the minister the gospel to them. The article was called, This is How Your Fear and Outrage Are Being Sold for Profit. In this article, the author carefully lays out the business model of the media, social media, and the money involved in capturing our attention. uh, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's many, many billions of dollars a year. Early in the article, he defines a very interesting word that you hear a lot if you start paying attention to social media and social media advertising, and that word is engagement, um, it's the metric by which companies evaluate the number of clicks, likes, shares, and comments associated with their content. You've seen that before, right? When, you, when you're on social media, how much, how much interaction something's got. Um, and you could put it another way, it's literally your, our, our emotional attention is the currency of the attention economy. It's worth a fortune, the article was written to expose the strategy being made by the media conglomerates and their political agendas. And the author was like certainly not writing from a Christian perspective, um, but engagement was is what every political-related effort is seeking. The more people engaged in a movement, the more successful they'll be in raising money and infecting votes and putting pressure on those making decisions. It's how the system works. And I'm not bringing all this up to say it's all wrong, but it is, as Christians, something we need to be aware of and guard our hearts against. So I can tell you that as I work in the Capitol now, um, it is amazing to me how many causes there are. I had no clue. Every single day, now with COVID it's been different, but every single day that they're in session, someone's in the Capitol Rotunda with chanting, with whatever their cause. Some of these causes just blew my mind. I had no idea it was even a thing. And there are all these passionate people chanting about their, their cause, making noise. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, um, you know, more respectful and doing some things that are um, more, more positive or constructive, I guess you could say. For example, the IHSE, uh, IH, uh, which is the homeschooling. I-C-H-E. ICHE. Thank you. I messed that up. They come in and do cherry pie day. Are you familiar with cherry pie day? Um, so cherry pie day is great. They go around and take cherry pies to everybody. I think that's constructive. The lawmakers love it. It's their favorite day of the year. Cherry pies coming in instead of someone angrily cha- chanting in their rotunda. So there's so many causes and, how, and the passion and the emotion behind it. But I can tell you that the most prominent emotion I see in the capital is anger. And it's from both sides. It's from everybody. So in this article, the author goes through and talks about how headlines are fashioned in a, it, in order to grab their viewers. And so sometimes there will be five headlines created for the same article. Each one is made to appeal to the people across the spectrum of beliefs in hope for maximum engagement. Um, Last year during the COVID shutdown, all the businesses were being closed down, all that. I, I get on Facebook and I see that there is a story from one of the local news outlets in Springfield about the Menard County Fair. And it's got a picture of a row of of uh, food trucks and, you know, a a normal fair scene. And the headline said uh, something to the effect of um, Menard County Fair, you know, putting people at risk by going forward with their fair. And all the comments below it were people that were really concerned about this fair going on and the, the, the fear of what might happen through that. About three hours later, I saw the same picture on the same article, and it said Menard County Fair going on as planned. Same article. All the comments where people were like, about time somebody stands up and does, you know what I mean? And it was all that kind of stuff. Same article, same picture. What was happening? Well, the news outlet was looking for engagement. They don't really care which side that engagement's coming from. It's just engagement. There's money in it. And so they put the same article out and they tailor the headline to fit that so that they get that conversation going. Now, the reality is people don't read the the article. They just look at the headline and Roll with it. So these headlines are fashioned in such a way. Now, social media has an algorithm that is designed to increase engagement. They are, you know, what's Facebook book worth? Sixty-five billion, whatever it is, billions and billions of dollars. And in order to continue to keep their investors happy, they have to show this engagement is continuing to take place and, in fact, is increasing. Well, the way that they have learned to engage you is by showing you more of what you engage with. And so the algorithm is created. Um, I, we have a friend who has; a, she has a couple social medias, but she has an Instagram page, and she loves dogs. And she decided, I am going to train the algorithm to only show me dogs. I don't want to see anything else. So she started disliking or, or hiding everything that she saw that didn't involve dogs. Guess what? The algorithm learned. Now she gets on Instagram, all she sees is dogs. So the algorithm, because that's all she's interacted with. So, this is creative. whatever you interact with it will show you more of it in order to increase your engagements it's not some big nefarious like uh, you know undertow like this is what they're trying to accomplish. They just want engagements because that's their business, and so that 's what they do. so they create the headlines in order to to engage you that way. The two emotions that they have learned engage people the strongest are fear and anger. those are the two emotions that will keep people longer. And it's not new. It's not just social media. The same thing's been happening with talk radio for years. The same thing that happens with your news. It's the same thing. That that those two emotions are what grab us the most and engage us. So we all experience, um, you know, fear and anger. It's something that we've done. All of us have gone down the rabbit hole, right? Where we hop on Facebook or Twitter or something. And the next thing you know, we're mad. And, uh, look at this. This is ridiculous, you know, and we've gone through that. And we've spent all this time on it. So what is it that we're supposed to do with this? How should we engage in it? Um, I am not, I'm just going to tell you right now, my, the end of my sermon today is not going to be get off social media. It's not going to be stop watching the news, although you may decide to adjust it a little, hopefully, or in, in, at least think about it differently. That's not the goal today. We want to get in the scripture. That was a long introduction to now get into the Bible, but, um, the, what, the Bible has a lot to say about both the subjects of fear and anger. In fact, uh, when I spoke at, a, at this uh, youth thing, I had four times to preach. I broke this down into four sermons. So you're getting the one sermon today that's um, not going to go as deep as, uh, as what I did there. But uh, there's a lot in Scripture dealing with the subjects of fear and anger. But I think we need to build a foundation first. You guys have been going through Isaiah. I didn't know that, but if you'd turn to Isaiah 43... I think there is something very foundational here that we need to understand as we seek to engage the culture and the world around us um, in a more godly and biblical way. Look at Isaiah 43.1. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine wow what a promise this this was directed at the nation of Israel at a specific time Israel was about to go through some significant judgment but God gives them this promise they didn't have a great economy ahead of them they did not have all this wonderful life ahead of them they had judgment coming their way but yet God says I chose you do not be afraid Look then at verse 2. He says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt to your ransom, Cush and Saba in your place. So God doesn't promise His people that He's going to make it easy for them. He doesn't promise He's going to take them out. He says, you're going to go through the fire but i will not you will not be burned he says you are going to go through the fl- the water and i will be with you that's the promise that he gave gave them what a wonderful promise well the same god who promised this to his people at this time the nation of israel is the same god who's chosen us before the foundation of the earth he knows us he calls us by name we are redeemed so the command that he gives to do not fear applies to us today uh, for the same reason. Did you know that the phrase do not fear or fear not appears in the Bible 80 times? 80 times. There are actually 366 references to fear, the subject of fear in the scriptures. One for every day, including on leap year. So you, you think there's a theme there? Um, it's, all, it's not all do not fear. Some of it's the put on side of that, which is fear God, um, which is a whole other sermon by itself. But, uh, but we have this backdrop. Now, let's go to the New Testament. Go to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Verses 6 through 7 here. I'll read 6 first. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, Paul is writing this from prison. He's awaiting martyrdom. And he says, be anxious for nothing. For nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God. So, how, do, how is that possible? Be anxious for nothing? But isn't, isn't it okay to be anxious about a virus? What about all the social unrest we're seeing? Isn't it okay to be anxious about that? Shouldn't we be worried about those things? Those things are happening. They're real. Isn't it okay to be anxious about the direction of our great nation as we see it sliding? He says, be anxious for nothing. He's waiting martyrdom. And he says says those words. But he doesn't stop there um, with just a a command. Because it is a command. But Paul Paul doesn't stop there. He gives us in verse 7 the result of... Taking it to the Lord in prayer. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So notice what Paul doesn't say here. And I'm adding a little bit of application to this, but he says, Don't he's not saying ignore everything and pretend everything's fine. He's not saying, he's not implying that anytime something happens that we're afraid of, we should just stick our heads in the sand and and work, you know, positive power, positive thinking. It's all going to be okay. I'm just going to ignore that bad thing. He's not saying that. He's not, he's not saying we should pull out of the concerns of the world as if they don't affect us or don't matter. I want to be careful to point that out. So what is he saying? Well, he says it in the next line in verse 6, right? In everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. What did Jesus do in the garden when he was awaiting crucifixion? He prayed. And we know that he prayed so fervently that the sweat was like drops of blood. But then it's, it's, the question is, was he fearful? Uh, You've got to be careful with that. I would say maybe in one sense it wasn't sinfully fearful. He was fearing God. What was he, what was he concerned about? He said, let this cup pass from me, right? He was concerned about being crushed me, by the Father for our sins. He asked for that. But then he also said, let your will be done. So we get to see an example of a situation, of a fearful situation, where the Lord Himself went to the went to the, the Father in prayer, expressed his what this cup has for me, expressed his desire, but then submitted Himself to the will of God, and we know from that prayer He goes out, right, restores the ear to the guard, and walks toward the crucifixion. So I think that uh, any time we can use the Lord Himself as a as an example. Uh, I think that, that that's the best thing we can do, obviously. Everything, in everything, prayer and supplication, take it to the Lord. And so we have that opportunity, even with things we're seeing in our lives here. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts. Now, I want to turn from there to 1 Timothy 2. I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but this, is, this, fits, this fits right along. And it's our ministry's verse, I guess you could say. We use it a lot. 1 Timothy 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, Timothy. And he says, in verse, uh, verses two, uh, 1 and 2, he says, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf on all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Um, did you, Do you know that the... That who can't live out those characteristics? I always kind of focus on those characteristics because we're told to pray for all men and then we're told to pray specifically for those that God has put in authority, which is something we covet. We would love it if you would engage in that with us. We have a prayer calendar on the back table. If you'd grab one of those in 31 days, you can pray for all of our elected officials in a month. And um, I think it's wonderful because it says, it says here what will happen. It says that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So uh, as I've come to understand this verse better, I think that we, ha- we can get caught in a, um, I guess, the trap of thinking that if we pray for our leaders, we will have exterior peace. I, I don't think that's what this is saying. Because did Paul or any of the apostles, they did this faithfully, but did they have peace? I mean, Paul ran from town to town. There was no exterior peace for him. He was on the run all the time. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He did not have a peaceful life. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about us uh, in our spirit, in our inner man. He's saying that if we pray for all men, if we pray for those who are in authority, that's a hard thing. That's a really hard thing to do. When is the last time you prayed for Governor Pritzker or for Joe Biden, or for Donald Trump when he was in. It's a hard thing. We, we consider these people often as political enemies, which they are in some cases. But we're supposed to pray for them. God has put them in place, in authority. We are to pray for them. Why? So that we may lead a tri- tranquil and quiet life in all godly and dignity. What happens when you pray for someone that you're in... Con- Think about your personal relationships. What happens when you pray for someone in in a personal relationship? It's impossible to hate them. It softens your heart towards them. It makes you more peaceful and dignified in your effort with them. The same thing happens. I think that's why the Lord uh, tells us through the Apostle Paul here to pray for these people so that we will not be consumed with anger, so that we will not be consumed with fear when we consider them. We can be quiet and tranquil, uh, sorry, tranquil and quiet, and we can be dignified and godly. So, it's really for us, I think, that we're told to pray. As much as it is for them, God will use our prayers. We don't know how, but He will. But it's for us, it's for our good that we we do this. You know who can't live out those four four qualities of peaceful, tranquility, quiet, dignified? The fearful and the angry. They can't live those out. Um, Fear is crippling, fear is deceiving. It causes us to look at the waves around us rather than to look at the Lord and to be filled with hope. And it causes us, it robs us of our joy as well. We have a future with Christ Himself. We are known by name. We are chosen by Him. And yet we so frequently look around us at the waves, the cultural waves and stuff around us, and we lose our opportunities for ministry and for joy and and our hope. If we are filled with fear, about what's going on around us, we stand to lose so much. We stand to lose opportunities to be salt and light in our community. Um, we stand to lose ministry and the use of our gifts with one another. It cripples us. When Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. You know, what did he do while he was in prison? i talked about this Sunday school. He witnessed to guard after guard after guard after guard. If he would have just been bitter, if he would have sat in bitterness at God possibly... Maybe it was at the governor who or the judge who threw him in jail. Maybe it's at the guard that was sitting there with him. What would have happened? Well, there wouldn't have been any ministry. Paul didn't do any of that. Paul, uh, instead, had a vibrant ministry to these folks uh, that he, they were chained to him. These were elite guards, by the way. They were like elite military. They were part of Caesar's household. We see in uh, Philippians 4. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. But he sat there and witnessed a... Over 3,000 guards, if you do the math. 3,000 guards. There were 12,000 of them that lived in and around Caesar's household. 3,000 of them heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul himself. We don't know how many got saved, but at the end of Philippians, in Philippians 4, it says, uh, he, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, the believers in the house of Caesar send their greetings. It's amazing. So it was effective. He had that ministry because he was not overcome by fear. He was not overcome by anger, even in his circumstances. Um, I'm not going to turn there, but 2 Timothy 2, seven says, For God has given not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So when we are filled with fear, we are not filled with, the, with God's power, love, and discipline. You see how they, they work against each other? I find it interesting that through Scripture, God commands us to fear not, yet the world... And the powers that be completely feed on it. Not only do they feed on it, it's profitable. How easy is it to scroll through your social media and see an article or a post and be filled with fear? How easy is it to listen to a uh, talk show on the radio or on TV and be filled with fear? Why do they do that? Well, it's because fear brings us back the next day and the next, and it leads to the next post and the next post and the next post. Christians, we are not. To be ruled by fear, because we have been redeemed and we are known by name by Almighty God, and He is sovereign over all. He has commanded us not to fear, but rather only to fear God. Um, when we we need to consider what this means for us, as far as like this engagement, I don't think we really understand, or we don't. We're not like we're. It's a subconscious thing. We're not consciously saying, "Oh, I'm scared now," but it is the it is the um, emotional connection that brings us back to the next thing or causes us to react in such a way that, that um, we get sucked in on these things. Now, what about the subject of anger? I'm not going to say a lot about anger, but I will say this. Uh, turn over real quickly with me to Psalm 37. This is a interesting connection between the two. Psalm 37 verse 8. The psalmist says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, for it leads to evil doing. Anger and fear in the same psalm lead to evil, lead to evil doing. Um, How often do you see it? Someone you know who is a believer Posting away on social media because they've watched the news or they've been filled with fear and anger and they just let it all out. Um, It happens all the time. I've done it. It's something I've had to work through. Um, But you say, but Kurt, it's righteous anger. Right? It's righteous anger. It's about an issue that um, I'm right about or that the Lord hates. Yes, I agree that that can happen. I also think righteous anger is more rare than we'd like to admit. Maybe we're willing to, or maybe willing to admit, our pride so readily sneaks in and robs us of righteous parts of our anger. I've had to sit in the gallery at the Capitol and listen to them to debate abortion bills, and it's stomach-turning. And there's a there, there is a uh, there is certainly a righteous anger to be had there, and I think we should be angry about those things, and we should do something about. It. I'm gonna get to that in a in a little bit here, but daily living. In our lives with one another, we cannot be consumed with this type of anger with everything that's going on. Have you ever thought, stopped to think about this? We live in a time where the whole world is connected. At any given moment in time, we can read the worst thing you've ever read. I don't think we were intended to know all of this, right? Uh, we're, we're to love our neighbor. There is a proximity, uh, idea of proximity to that. Um, To some degree, it's not just the person right next to you, but there is some idea of proximity to that. You can read about horrible things happening, and there are worldwide things that need to be paid attention to, but, um, man, social media just constantly can show you story after story, and it's like, man, that's horrible. Man, that's horrible. I don't think we were intended to know every single thing that's happened in the world all the time. We We can consume our entire lives with terrible things. There's 7 billion people on this planet, and there's bad things happening every minute. Right, And so there are things that we should pay attention to, that we should be prayerful of. There's also things that are outside of our scope, and we need to make sure that we are not living and cons- being consumed by fear. Um, on the subject of fear, turn over quickly with me to Ephesians four. This is the counselor uh, coming out, I guess, but uh, Carla is a, a counselor at uh, Springfield Center for Biblical Counseling. She's ACBC certified. And uh, she counsels a lot. You've probably used this passage a few times, haven't you, Carla? Ephesians 4:26 and 27. You've all heard it. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. So the big ta- so right, you know, the big takeaway from this is that our anger allows a foothold for the devil if we don't deal with it in a godly and quick way. Um. The world wants your angry involvement in its affairs. They want your emotions engaged. The world wants what the Lord has commanded. What the world wants and what the Lord has commanded are on two different tracks completely. Two different tracks. I want to be clear with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we should be stoics who never experience emotions when it comes to what we're seeing in the world around us. We should be heartbroken about the evils and the sins and the injustices we see. Um, we should be sad at the degree to which our culture around us does that which is right in their own eyes. When the answer is right in front of them, the, the life of Christ, the lives they, they see us living. However, I want to point out the culture is not our enemy. Satan is. Lost people are going to do things that lost people do. The culture is not our enemy, it's our mission field. So how are we then to live well, first and foremost, the answer uh, to this, I think, is is going back to the Philippians passage where it says, guard your heart. So how do we guard our hearts? Um, that's why I told you, I'm not going to be like, okay, listen, I'm going to get into some more practical type things that maybe you can do uh, here in just a minute. But the answer is not just as simple as get rid of Facebook or stop watching the news or those things... Those things are not, uh, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in them to change. You may choose to do those with some applications, something along those lines. But the first and foremost is to guard your heart. Do you trust in God's sovereignty? Number one, when you're thinking, when you're feeling anxiety well up about someone in leadership. Happens to me. I'm still so frustrated most of the time. You know, I get angry sometimes. But do you trust in God's sovereignty? Romans 13.1 says, God put all who have authority in their positions. Do you, do you actually believe that? Is he sovereign over the virus? Is he sovereign over your finances? We say God is in control and that he is sovereign, but do we live as if that's true? Are we trusting in him? Can, you, can your heart rest in Jesus when everything else is in turmoil? So I think... Uh, I, one of the things that I did, or, or this year I had uh, some some New, year, uh, New Year's resolutions that I wanted to do. And one of them was I wanted to do some kind of study on the attributes of God. So I read The Knowledge of the Holy by, by Tozer. It's a quick book. I encourage it. It's a great book. And I wanted to build in my mind a better view of God, who God is, for this reason. He's sovereign. He's in control. I want to trust Him with that. Okay, so first and foremost is guard your heart. And I think the way you do that is by building God up as big as possible in your heart. I think that's one big way to do that. The second thing is to pray. Um, The answer was back in Philippians 4, 6, right? Be anxious for nothing. Pray for everything. We're going to experience fear. Fear is actually a natural reaction. You know, if a bear was coming after me, I would experience fear. Is that wrong? No. I have a very good reason to be afraid of that bear. When you look at... Some of the things going on in our culture, and our country, are there legitimate reasons for fear? Yes, absolutely. I'm not telling you that if if you read something and it makes you fearful that you've sinned. But what do we do with that fear? Pray. Take it to the Lord. What do we do with it? We're going to experience anger. Sometimes that anger is righteous, like listening to the abortion bills being debated. One gentleman actually claimed that the scriptures support abortion. And he made a case that because, um, basically, rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. The, in other words, kids belong to the state. That made me angry, right? That is, not, that is something that is truly um, wrong. We're going to experience anger. What do we do with it? Pray, deal with it quickly, right? From Ephesians, um, Ephesians 6. Jesus prayed. We should follow his example. All right, now we've got those two, right? Build up God in your heart, guard your heart, pray, take your fears and your angers to Him. And number three, be disciplined and wise with your resources. Uh, Turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 9. Verses 24 and 25. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then uh, They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So the Apostle Paul tells us, the one I, what I wanted to point to there is self-control, being disciplined in all things. What does that look like? Well, Paul's using athletic imagery here. If you want to be a good athlete... You have to use your time and resources well. you got to work hard. You have to eat right. You have to do these things and be self-disciplined. Well, spiritually speaking, we need to do the same things. We should be endeavoring to win and to do all these things um, for Christ. So what might resources be when I say that? Well, uh, one of the things I point to is time spent. So it could be time spent on social media. It could be time watching the news or listening to the radio. It might be um, time that you're not spending the Word doing something else. There's a number of things there. and this is not, There is no like, uh, I'm going to give you a list, like you can only spend a half an hour a day on social media. It's not like that. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own uh, needs, their own uh, issues with these things. So it's a guard-your-heart situation. But another thing is emotional energy. Uh, how much emotional energy do you invest in certain things? Have you ever noticed that after you go to a funeral, how exhausted you are, or even a wedding? It could be positive emotions. When you invest emotional energy in something, you're spending it. There's uh, we have a, we have a tank. This is very unofficial, by the way. I don't have, you know, I don't know how much we have, but there is. We get tired when we invest emotional energy in things. How are you investing your emotional energy? Uh, I used to. I, I like baseball. Uh, I used to invest way too much emotional energy in the Cardinals. I did. I loved them, and I still like baseball. I still kind of pay attention, but at some point I realized, you know, I'm spending too much emotional energy on this. I'm way too angry or happy about it, you know, that type of a thing. So, same thing could be said for our engagement with politics. It could be said for the engagement of with social media. We got to protect. We got to protect our energy, our time, our emotional energy, and. um and so, yeah. And uh, you and I, uh, are you and I uh, as urgently engaged in the work of the kingdom as we are in the work of the world? This one's always challenging. Are we as passionately concerned with the kingdom of heaven as we are with the current situation of our country and state? Um, again, I'm not saying we should have no interest in the things of the state and the country. We should. But what I fear is that we are far more concerned with that than we are with the everlasting and the eternal. Uh, one time I heard and of course he's fallen now, but uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., he said uh, on the Glenn Beck show, he said, we can worry about theology and doctrine after we've saved the country. That's what he said. So we wouldn't say that probably, but do we feel that way? Um, in Matthew 10, we're not going to turn there for time. Matthew 10, uh, Matthew, or Jesus is sending the disciples out on their first mission without him, by themselves. And he tells them, This is how you should conduct yourselves. This is how I'm going to provide for you. He gives them all these very specific instructions in that chapter. And then he says this. He says, Be shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as a dove. This is number four. It's uh, to to be wise about engagement, where we do it, how we do it. Use wisdom about what you choose to stand for. Um, It's not simple. It, it's something you have to process through yourself. Some questions to ask yourself to try to, to arrive at the thing, is this worth my public stance? Some things definitely are. So one question is, is my position biblical? If it is, no question. Right? Um, when you think about things like uh, abortion, uh, the sanctity of marriage, when you think about the gender issues, pff, scriptures say so. Right? We don't have a choice in this and we should speak. On other positions, I have strong opinions. We own a pumpkin patch. We have 40-plus employees in the fall. Um, Minimum wage was a big deal to us. We already pay above minimum wage, but it was going way higher than that. And that was something that I was concerned about Um, and how that was going to affect our business and how that was going to go. There's nothing in Scripture about that. So now I have to look at that and say, does my position honor God? And from there, the next question is, when I express my opinion about that, will it hurt my testimony or cost me my ability to share the gospel? And so I'm going to do it in such a way that I'm not harming myself. I'm not going to just throw a meme up and spew it out, right? I'm going to probably consider how this sounds. Um, I actually heard, is kind of interesting, uh, but uh, President Trump was actually asked by a, a, a gentleman that was doing an interview with him. He said, do you ever regret, regret your tweets? And he said, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, sometimes regret my tweets. He said, it used to be if you wrote a letter, it sat on your desk till the next day and you could take it back. Now you can't do that. It's out there for the whole world to see. So um, yeah, we have this, this ability to just share and it's out there. We need to be conscientious about that. Be shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. Remember the great commission. We are commissioned to go and make disciples. Um, as Christians, disciples of who is the big question? Jesus. We are not moving to make disciples of a political party or a political movement, although it's not wrong to belong to one. It's not wrong to to uh, uh, have your views on that and to proclaim those things, but let's make sure that we are making disciples of Christ first and foremost, even as we act in these ways. Uh, Matthew 10, he ends that passage uh, in verses 25 through 27. He says, once again, do not fear, speak in the light, proclaim on the housetops. So when he said, be shrewd as a snake and as a dove, he isn't saying hide and be quiet. It's being shrewd means to be wise. Being innocent means to be righteous. So those are the two things he was telling the disciples. We're not going out and sinfully looking for trouble, but here's what's going to happen. And then he says persecution will come. So be prepared for that, but do not fear. So that's a wonderful passage for this. In just the last couple minutes here, um, I would like to uh, encourage you in kind of some constructive ways, uh, impactful ways that you can be engaged in politics. Because what I don't want you to do is walk away from here and say, I think that I feel like engagement with politics is sinful now. Because that's not what I've been trying to do. Um, I want to give you some some ways that you can be engaged in a real way and not just putting your anger out there. Because angry posts on social media are not political engagement. I'm sorry to tell you that. They're not. Um, You're telling your friends how mad you are and you're giving your enemies a chance to have something on you. That's what I believe about that. But here's, here's the first thing. I'm giving you six things here. Pray for your elected officials in obedience to 1 Timothy 2. Going back to that passage... It'll do wonders for you. It's impossible to hate someone you're praying for. Now, you may, you may still, they still may be a political enemy, and they will be. But how should you pray that they'll be saved, that they'll come to know Christ? Uh, the speaker at my, my ministry banquet last year, he said, you know what's better than righteous laws? Righteous lawmakers. And I was like, that is so true, because they're going to make righteous laws if they're righteous. But they need the power of Christ. They, they need a heart transformed. So pray for that. Even if you can't, you know, if you find yourself going, well, I can pray, but they're only in precatory prayers. Well, that's okay sometimes. oh, well, I can pray for them to be removed from office. That's fine too. We have an election coming up, right? But pray for their salvation. Pray that they'll be righteous in their, in their governance. Number two, limit your commentary and narrative-based news intake. I, I think it's fine to listen to narrative, uh, and, but almost all news now isn't just here's the information. It's commentary about the information, right? Um, We were watching uh, uh, news uh, during the Georgia election in January. I was interested in that. I do watch the news occasionally. I try to keep it to a couple times a week because, I'm going to be honest with you, not much changes in a week. Uh, Even though they have 24-7 coverage of everything, uh, you can catch up pretty quick. And uh, we were watching the show, and the commentator was talking about some obscure issue that really was kind of difficult to follow, but, boy, she was mad about it, you know, and, uh, and my wife was sitting there with me, and she goes, I have no idea what she's talking about, but I'm mad. You know, and it's like that's, that's what they do. They have the ability to really whip us up and uh, to, uh, to get us to, to be fired up over stuff. So that's why I say limit it, whatever that means to you. If you're like, hey, I watch three hours every night. I mean, Fox News is on every night, CNN's on, whatever it is. That's what I do. You might limit that to an hour. You know, baby steps, step back. If you do it every day, you might say, "You know what I'm going to do it um, three days a week, but I'm going to cut it back a little bit and uh, again, this is just my my opinion, but um, watch for opportunities to fill out witness slips. Um, so, uh, some people will say, well, I, I, shared this post and so I've done my part. Witness slips are powerful. Witness slips actu- are actually on the Illinois government, ilga.com website. And what you're doing when you fill out a witness slip is you're actually signing in as if you were in the committee room with your opposition or your, uh, whether you're opposed or for an issue. And they're so impactful that when they've wanted to pass something bad enough, they've actually played games with this where they pull the bill and rename it so that the witness slips aren't attached to it. They've played games with this because they're actually impactful. Last year when the abortion bill came, uh, was this really terrible abortion bill came out, there were 13,000 witness slips filed. I did one. Your name goes on the record. But that's real, that's real political advocacy and I think it, it's, um, you know, it, it was effective. Now what they did was they pulled the bill and they played a game with it and they still got it through. But there are other things, a lot of other things that have been killed by witness slips. So I would say look for those opportunities to fill those out. Um, I think they're, they're a big step up from calling your lawmaker um, in terms of what you're doing. But that's a great way to have an impact. Uh, support good candidates and support good organizations that you trust. Um, we, we have our organizations. I'm at the small business lobby I told you about. We're still a member. believe in what they stand for. Um, We're part of a farm organization with our farm. Uh, We we support Illinois Right to Life. We also have a pro-family group that we like, that we support. Uh, I'm all about that. So support those groups and do so constructively. If if you're interested in who's good and who's not, if I know about them, I'll share that information with you if you want to reach out to me. Um, And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. But um, that's a great way to do it. Number five, research an issue well before putting your own commentary out there don 't mistake social media posting for political activism um, there's a lot of things oh that's that meme looks good, <laughs> sure right, but oftentimes it 's not exactly the whole thing right or it 's not completely true or it 's uh you know not kind in the way it's what 's put out and as Christians we want to be careful with that so research an issue if you want to if you want to be a an activist about a certain issue, go ahead and do it, but make sure you 're well researched and you 're ready to have conversations and you 're not just wanting to uh, Advertise your own viewpoint all the time. And most importantly, this is the biggest one. Number six, share the gospel with your neighbor. Uh, That doesn't sound very political, but the reason that everything is happening there, they're a reflection of what's out here. What's happening in the building is a reflection of the culture out there. Now you're like, well, yeah, but some of those people, like that's Chicago, right? Well, I would speak and tell the people in Chicago the same thing. There's a reflection. People need the Lord. And so I think that the most impactful thing you can do in um, being politically active is to share the gospel because it will change the culture. So those are, those are just six things that I wanted to put out there as kind of an application. I hope today has been encouraging to you. Um, you know, these things are, I think, come along, and we just get into a pattern of doing what feels right and we don't maybe sometimes stop and think about What's actually happening when we're engaging with all these different things, and so I hope that it, that encouraged you. I, I again, I didn't want it to just become like a like. Here's how how you should do everything. It's not a mechanical thing. It's an issue of guarding your heart. It's an issue of growing in godliness, and just like in your relationships with one another, it fits the same way. You know, we want to honor the Lord in all things. So let me pray, and then um, we'll we'll dismiss. If you have any questions, we'll be back at our table. Carla and I will be. And uh, we'll, we'd be happy to talk to you. If you want to hear from our ministry, about five or six times a year we send out a newsletter. That newsletter would have some Bible studies in it that we've done or the prayer calendar each year. You can sign up on the back table. Just give us your address. We just send those out snail mail still. Um, and uh, we've got uh, uh, some Bible studies back there and a prayer calendar. I would love it if you guys took a prayer calendar and tried to uh, fulfill First Timothy 2. Over the course of a month, July's coming up, July first one through thirty one you could pray for everybody that's that's involved, and I think you'll be blessed by it. So let me pray and I'm gonna let you go.